Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Um, I've actually had a limited amount of experience with grandparenting. Uh, Three years, actually. Last week was the third anniversary. So, you know, obviously, you know, got a lot of experience to draw on. Um, Some of you have a a whole heap. Who'd have more than 20 years experience as a grandparent here? Anyone? Yeah. God bless you. Anything over 30? Wow. God bless you, folks. We honour you. That's wonderful. Yeah, I've got got three. (laughs) Not a lot to talk about, right? So I'm not going to talk about my grandparenting. Except for the fact that I like it. You know, one of the things you can do these days with YouTube, you can usually watch people sort of overshare. Have you noticed that? You go on YouTube. And one of the things you find on YouTube these days is people finding out that they're grandparents and they go way over. Now, of course, they're Americans. Nothing against Americans, of course. They're an enthusiastic bunch of people. But have a look at this. These are people discovering that they're grandparents. Isn't it amazing how some people greet the message? I bet you you guys, I think in Australia, this is the way we do it. It's kind of like the duck or the swan, you know? On the, on the top of the water, just looks like they're, you know, we go, you're gonna be a grandfather or a grandfather. Oh, isn't that lovely. <laughs> Oh, that's nice. And then underneath. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought the second one was a bit unfortunate. It was almost as if she'd done the wrong thing. Anyway. With grandparents, there are a number of very significant principles that are in Scripture which address what actually, how actually significant these things are. Before I do that, I tell something of my own story, though. My great-grandfather on my mother's side, um, before he decided to follow Jesus, was the town drunk. Um, He was violent and gambler. He would never, like, his paper could be gone before he got home on payday. Does that make sense? He'd have drunk it or gambled it or lost it, got himself into terrible fights. Although they say he had fists like dinner plates, which sounds like he could handle himself fairly well. Obviously, that didn't pass down to me. Um, You know, and I'm a lover, not a fighter, of course. So he, he, um, this this is my great-grandfather. And then one day, he stumbles out of the pub, literally into the arms of two Salvationists, who grab him and drag him all the way up to their hall to have something to eat around the potbelly stove there. And then they preach the gospel to him. And the story in the family is that when he knelt down, he was drunk as a skunk. And then the power of God hit him and he stood up sober. It was a remarkable night in our family. My my great-grandmother... Um, when he came home, you get to remember who my grandfather is. He's drunk, he's violent, he's a gambler, doesn't provide for his family. 
Then he comes home one night and he says, oh, I've found Jesus. Great, great. Now he's religious as well. You can understand how she would be feeling, right? She was furious at him. And the story's about how furious she was. I think, I think she might have con- considered divorce at that point. He's got religion as well as all these other things. Anyway, that she knew something had happened because the, week, the next week, without opening his pay packet, he came home straight from work and put the pay packet in front of her and said, this is for you and the children. Something had happened and my great-grandmother went to church the next week to find out what had happened. I'm not an accident. Not, not because God, when God ordained that I should come into the world, yes, that's one aspect of it, but in my family story, I'm not an accident. Does that make sense? Neither are you. Even to those who, who are first generation, first generation Baptists or Christians or whatever you are. May I ask, is there anyone here who's a first generation believer? It's wonderful. Praise God. I would believe, based on my story, that one day someone will remember your name and give thanks that you decided to follow Jesus. My grandfather, my great-grandmother, my <laughs> and so on. My, grand, my great-grandfather on the other side, on the, the Stugley side, he was a, a swaggy, um, a bit of a loner, um, also had a bit of a problem with alcohol, and um, he was a, a shearer. And in those days, you would, the shearers would walk from station to station, following the work in, uh, in the north, above the Adelaide Hills there in, in South Australia. One day he went into town and uh, he was looking for the pub and instead he found two salvations again. I just love those people because he dragged him to church and they prayed with him and he too found the Lord and never stopped serving him all his life. I'm not an accident. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm not an accident. The story of my family declares the glory of the Lord. You see? And you might say, well, would it be happening like that in my family? The answer is yes, because this is his plan. This is how he figures things. When God reveals himself, he reveals himself in families. And that's why my first principle that I want to share with you today is this one, that families are important. And that big hint, if you've ever read your Bible, is how many family trees are there? Well, there's one in Matthew, right? We're going to have a look at that one, just at the start of it. But there's also the one in Luke, isn't there? And then all those ones in the Old Testament with the names you can't pronounce, right? Yeah, they're everywhere. Why is this important? Because God invests the revelation of himself in families. That's how he does it. He doesn't just want you to be saved. He wants you and your children and your children's children and their children and their... He wants that as the way he's going to change the world. At the start of Matthew's gospel is the... Is the you know, at Luke, you've got the one on Mary's side, but here's the one on Joseph's side, which is an interesting one. But if you have a look at it in Matthew, there's a few names here, da, Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The next verse is the one we'll focus on. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot begot Judah and his brothers. Now, here's the lesson I want us to learn here. God is so gracious and so loving and so kind that he doesn't wait for you to get your ducks in a row before he starts revealing himself. Isn't that good news? Now, here's the practice for 
activation today, we're going to practice. Now, every now and again, I'm going to pause and give you a little look. And then that's when you go like this. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Ready? So let's go to practice. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Yes. You right? You've got the emphasis? Right. So, Abraham. Interesting fella. Interesting fella. He was a sun worshipper who twice passed his wife off as his sister because he was afraid. That man could have had some issues. And the Bible calls him the father of faith. Isn't that interesting? He didn't have his ducks in a row, but it seems as though God revealed himself to him. See how it works? Because God wants to reveal himself. Not because we've got all our stuff in a row and we're ready for it. Who was ready for the revelation of the Spirit? I wasn't. But so grateful that God placed me in a family that had that revelation and I could grow in it and I could stand on the shoulders of my parents and grandparents. Then you've got to look at Jacob. Interesting fellow, right? Deceiver. Great <laughs> We call people Jacob. We don't know that it means deceiver. Oh dear. I'm sure we don't mean that when we give some, a boy that name. But the interesting thing, he was a deceiver. Deceived both his brother and his father. He was a bit of a mama's boy apparently. Know a mama's boy? Anyone? Oh, okay. We're not owning up. Oh, someone up the back. Hallelujah. I see that. And then you've got this little family dilemma gets even worse because you look at Judah, who, you remember? It was Judah's idea to get rid of Joseph, which doesn't make himself look good as a brother, is it? And then, do you remember? He was the one that had twins with his daughter-in-law. Boy, I've got to tell you what, if, if God had meant that the revelation of him would only come to the people who'd got all their ducks in a row, man, he'd be saying nothing. And yet... He's always been revealing himself. Isn't that good news? Ooh, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, you get the idea, right? You think about that. God did not wait for you to be ready, but he revealed himself. Who has godly parents to, to reflect on? Yeah, who has godly grandparents to reflect on? And so on. We carry what was in them. It's come through to us like it did for Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob and then to Judah. These guys never, there was like days of our lives with these people. And it is in our case, isn't it? We're not perfect, are we? We haven't got our ducks in a row and yet, and yet families, this is our first principle, families is the way God reveals himself in the earth. He took his son, his son invested himself in a group of people who were told, pass this on. If you remember that the whole revelation of the Exodus was built on a simple instruction, share this with your children. Why? Because this revelation of how good I am and what I do, I want this to be in every generation. It's going to make the world a better place. So that's the first in, in principle we can learn from Scripture about the, about the role of a grandparent or even a parent for that matter. So that's the first one. I would also actually um, mentioned to you that there's a woman in that, in that family tree by the name of Rahab. You remember? Rahab married one of the spies that she had protected, whose name was Salmon. Salmon and her, she was a foreigner, not a Jewish woman. She was a Baal worshipper, 
and that involved the sacrifice of children. And yet this woman marries into um, Salman's family, becomes a Jewish woman, and she has a son called Boaz. Remember the story? And Boaz has a son with another foreign woman. Do you remember that? You remember her name? Ruth, yeah. And they named him Obed. And then Obed had a son called Jesse. And Jesse had eight sons, and the youngest of them was David, king of Israel. This is how God reveals himself. He starts, he invests himself in a family. If you're the first generation, he's, he's whooping and hollering. He's so thrilled. He's got into your line. And now your line can experience the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ coming through the revelation of himself. Isn't that wonderful? Ooh, thank you, Jesus. You got the idea? You're getting bolder. Although you are a Baptist group of people and Baptists have always been people who've actually celebrated on the inside. I understand. All right, number two. Human glory is actually portrayed in the generations. Look at Proverbs chapter 17, verse 6. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. I make this point to you. I mean, obviously, there's some of you saying, and I mentioned women there. It's a bit of misogynist scripture verse. I want to talk to you about the principle here, which is the one I want you to get. The way honour and glory comes and really fits human beings is when what God has done in you seeps through to the next generation. And what God has done in the generation before you seeps through to you. That glory is a glory that is not based on individual, individual pursuit and ability. That's wonderful. You can have all that you like of that. But there's a great glory which the scriptures speak of, which is when what God has invested in your, your generation comes through to the next. Now, we have a lot of prodigals, don't we? We have a lot of prodigals in the church now. And yet, all of those people grew up under that revelation and grace. We live in hope that they will return. We pray for that, don't we? We want that. That's important. Because we see that the glory of what God does in human beings is that he plants them in families. Friends, in the West, we have a problem with individualism. It's a hyper-individualism now. And we have never seen rates of loneliness and violence and depression like we've seen in these last generations. We are not on a good trajectory if we stay that way. But look, look at the possibilities. Look at the possibilities as we, we garner the revelation of God that we've received and pass it on faithfully, graciously, giving every generation the chance to come into the fullness of what God wants. Do you know, my great-grandfather on either side had no education at all. My grandfather on both sides had a primary school education. My uh, father had a uh, high school and my, 
my mum had a high school education. And I've been able to build on that, right? That makes sense, right? You understand that. So it is with the revelation of God. As he invests it in you, you are giving your children and their children and their children's children the chance to go deeper and more profoundly into that revelation. You are giving your, the family line of which you are a part the chance to know the true glory of God. That's the next principle. All right, let's keep going. Number three, just for those who, who like to count down, you know, thinking this could be incredibly boring, Give me an idea of when this will be over. You know, usually we wait in a sermon for someone, for the preacher to say, and in conclusion. But have you ever noticed a preacher always tricks you? He's got several points after the in conclusion. He was just getting your hopes up. Number three, faith moves along a guardrail from grandparents to parents and children. That's one of the things that it moves, and we honour that. 2 Timothy 1, verse 3 and 5. Have a look at this verse with me. I thank God, this is Paul writing to Timothy, whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day when I call to remembrance the genuine faith Call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Next verse, which dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you too. It's an interesting thing, this. In other words, sometimes you'll find that what God reveals to a family member before you or someone who has invested in you, you carry a little bit of that too. Who would say they recognise that in their lives? that you're carrying something that, that had been revealed to a previous generation. It can even happen with mentors. I tell this little story to illustrate this. Years ago, I was preaching at Nambour Baptist Church and I preached the message, went out to the door as they used to do. I don't know that we do it now. I remember, like I've, I've been in ministry now 42 years. We always used to go out to the door and shake everybody's hand <laughs> and eyeball people. Maybe that's good that we don't do that, Dave. All the congregation are saying, oh, thank you, Jesus. We're in a, we're in a better day now. Anyway, <clears throat> I went out to the door and this elderly lady on the arm of her daughter, obviously, came up to see me and she said this to me. She said, I thought I recognised your name. And I said, oh, really? She said, yes, I knew your grandfather. And I thought, that's Weird. And I said, how did you know my grandfather? Who, who did you know? And he says, I knew your grandfather, Joseph Studley. And I said, and this is true, he died when I was three. And she said, when you stood up, the way you spoke, the words you used, the mannerisms you showed reminded me of him. And I went, oh, that is really weird a little too weird, but the, the idea that I'm like my grandfather, like that, whom I didn't know. Friends, your grandparents are in your bones whether you know it or like it or not. You carry them. If you, as a grandparent, carry the revelation of God, you can be grateful because what is going to happen is that will be in their bones even without them agreeing to it. It'll be there. That's something to go, ooh, 
thank you, Jesus. You know what I mean? You with me? You want this to be over quicker? What's happening out there? Anyway, number four. God is the sustainer of the whole of life right through it, right till you get older. Now, look at this scripture. This is one of my favorites. Ever since I went gray, hallelujah for gray. Gray is good. I used to hate gray. My wife wanted me to rinse. Anyone else had a wife that wanted you to rinse? Is there anyone else in the house? Looks like I'm alone in that. All right. Isaiah 46, even to your old age, I am he. And even to your grey hairs, I will carry you. Now, when you look at this, I mean, I, I look at this scripture and go, whoa, yes, he's carrying me. I've got the grey hair to prove it. I'm, I meet the criteria. I've got grey hair, therefore he's carrying me. Woo! Okay, so I'm a little nerdy, get over it. But think about that for a second. Your grey hair, my, I tell you what, it's just just what's happening physiologically. God says, as you grow older, you never lose your value. You never lose who you are and the influence you can have on family. You never lose that because I'm with you. Isn't that a great promise? Ooh, thank you, Jesus, yes. You can go straight to the thank you, Jesus, if you don't want the ooh. But I think the, the ooh helps you. Ooh, thank you, Jesus. Especially if you go, ooh, like that, you know? Ooh, thank you, Jesus. Just a thought. Okay. Even to the gray hairs, I will carry you. See, that was the reason why I couldn't rinse. Because I would have rinsed, I'd have missed on the promise. You got the idea? One of the things that we do make the mistake in the West of, we tend, if you know, we tend to start to devalue people when their functioning finishes. Biblically, that never comes up. When you're older, the Lord is with you. Why? Because you still carry the revelation and you're meant to start to keep transmitting that and bringing that. And if people won't listen to you, then you go to your prayer closet and you, you do war against the enemy who breaks the hearts of people and causes them to be hard and, and, and you intercede for them. And you fight for them. And you don't ever back off. You keep pressing in. You don't stop. Why? Because you've still got influence. You're still carrying the revelation. Do you see what I'm saying? And so you carry this the whole of your life through. And this become, he becomes your sustainer all the way through. That's number four. Number five is based on a scripture in Deuteronomy 4 verse 9. A believing grandparent has a job. And I've alluded to this, but, so I won't need to spend a lot of time here. But the scripture is Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep to yourself, keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen. Now, here's the thing. Here's the principle. We've got to keep remembering the revelation that's on our lives. Talk to each other about it. You know, it's kind of like you... you have you ever done this? You, 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 uh, you're in a conversation with a couple of Christians and a couple of non-Christians and you, you say to your Christian friends, did you know that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin? And then the person who's also, why no, tell me about it. You're actually telling the story again. You're remembering it. And the other non-Christians can listen in while you do it. Do, do you see the point I'm making? 
that the way we talk about the story matters. We don't just move on. We, we have this wonderful revelation of Jesus. We, we, we are meant to move on in one point of, of growing in maturity, but in another, we never stop remembering the revelation that God has placed on our lives because it's important. We hold on to it. We will not let it slip from our grasp. We've got a job to remember it. This is really important. We in the Western church have fallen into the trap of allowing every individual to make their own journey. Biblically, we were always meant to make this together. We were always meant to do the faith journey together, whether in families or in groups of people like we have here. So when we get together, we talk with one another. We remember. We remember. We tell the stories, how we came to Jesus, how we trusted Jesus, how Jesus answered our prayers, how he kept faith with us, how he guided us, how he directed us. These kinds of things are very important, and that's our job. If you're a believing grandparent, then remember your stories. Tell your stories. Tell your stories. Only yesterday at the birthday party, my, grand, my son-in-law asked me a question and I was able to tell him one of the stories of how God was faithful. That's part of what we do, retelling the story and, and holding on to that story because of its great value. Now, number six, we can bank on God. He is so good. He is so good. He is faithful. We sing about it, we talk about it, and it's true, isn't it? Here's, here is this wonderful scripture in Psalm 103, verse 17. But... The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Now, this is a simple principle here. When God puts the revelation of his righteousness on one generation, it gives him great joy when that starts to filter through to the next one. It gives him great joy. When you're telling your little children, when when you're explaining the stories, it's great joy because of the stories of his righteousness are seeping through from one generation to another. Uh, when I uh, have the opportunity to be with my grandsons, I often find myself, I place my hands on their heads and they, they actually stand there. Uh, I think they even recognise something is happening and I say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's part of the way in which those who fear him are passing on to the next generation the great grace that we have experienced. It's a wonderful scripture when you think about it. You can bank on this faithfulness because of the way it reaches across the generations. We give thanks to God that he is faithful, he is good, and his love endures forever. And we all would say to that, ooh, thank you, Jesus. Some of you are getting into that. Obviously, the Lord is with you. All right, number seven. Psalm 90 has a a really interesting verse in chapter, sorry, Psalm 90, verse 12, that God about being intentional. Look at this scripture. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, most people, when they read this, they just think it's, it's actually just about how old you are, but it's not. It actually is about how you value every day, how intentional you are with every day. Number your days, make the most of them. I've got, I've got this day, 
I'm going to make the most of it. Does that make sense? So you, you actually use the day to intentionally wait on him. Now, Jesus gives us a little kind of hint on this. Remember, he said this. You can help me with the verse. Ask and keep on asking, right? Seek and you shall find. Knock and the... Yeah, yeah, you got the idea of it, right? So th- th- this idea of in being intentional is really important. Every day, you're actually wanting more. A lot of Christians cruise. You know, they just put the cruise control on and they go through the motions. You don't want to ever live like that because eventually it slows down to a stop and you don't know where God is. And you come to a pastor and say, I don't know where God is anymore. Right, so, so the, the thing is, be intentional every day. Grandparents, you can have incredible influence, I believe, by being intentional with every day. Asking, Lord, give me a moment. Lord, give me a moment. I'm seeking a, I'm seeking a conversation. I'm, I'm knocking on the door of their hearts, right? Because the truth is we have a lot of prodigals in the church. We have a lot of prodigals. Do you know, there is almost, we're looking now at one in three people in Australia, grew up or have strong connections to people in the church. One in three. You can imagine if there's a renewal of the Spirit of God in his church, that eight million Australians are low-hanging fruit. Do you understand what I've just said to you? Not Not because they're all religious, but because they're not engaging with the revelation that is actually on their lives and they don't realise it. Does that make sense? You got that? So why, why do we seek to be intentional? Because every day there could be opportunities to reach one of that one in three. Eight million people. Can you imagine that? How many services would you have to have at Gateway Logan? And you know, if you're the worship leader, Brandon, you know, kind of half past 11, you'd be night, at night, you know. You'd, blood coming out of your fingers. Hallelujah. Yeah. But, but do you, does that make sense? Why, why revivals are so amazing is that they, first of all, tend to reach those who grew up under the revelation of God. And then they see, they see the faith of their childhood in front of them being acted out. And they said, oh, that's what I'm looking for. So friends, we need to be intentional. Ask the Lord every day. Seek him every day. Knock on the door. Don't just make it a, just, oh, I'm just going to have a day. Press in. Do whatever you can to seek that moment. Does that make sense? Right. All right. I'll leave you with it. Um, number eight, the last one. Isn't that good? Good job we're not having a barbecue after. I always thought that, you know, my last point, people used to start the barbecue, put the onions on first. I hated that. I love onions, but I just hate it when that happens. You're preaching. Ah, turn it off. Because everyone starts thinking, everyone's head's been full of the word of the Lord, and then suddenly, onions. You can see it in their eyes. Anyway, that's it. I'll receive prayer for for that uh, later. Here's number eight. A culture of honour. And the scripture is um, Exodus uh, 20 verse 12, built into the 10 words. Now, don't, don't ever read the 10 commands like, boy, if I can just do this, 
God's going to be pleased with me. God's going to love me and going to want to be with me. Because he, before he'd given that, God said to Israel, I choose you. And you are to be my beloved one. Yeah? Yeah. And in the Aramaic, they used to say uh, of God, Abun the Washmaya, the beloved one who is everywhere. They loved him like that. Beautiful, huh? He put into this, these 10 things a, a basic guideline how you, because every relationship has its boundaries, right? And, and he says, these are the ways I want you to relate to me and then to each other. So horizontal and vertical. And the middle one is the one that carries the promise. Honour your father and mother that it may go well for you in the land. There's not a promise on any other, only on that one. Why is that? Well, logic should tell you what that is. It's that way because the way life works is that it always works better with honour. Anything, we could change Australia today if we could invest a culture of honour in it. Honour for everyone. Not, not just the people who are the doctors and the nurses, and I've got nothing against doctors and nurses, nor about all those who serve in government, nor those who are good at their sport and all that sort of thing, who get all the awards and all the honours. I'm talking about every person in Australia being treated as though they are part of something which is a culture of honour. And that's why we honour grandparents. We speak honour to them because they carried the, the grace of God. They carried it. And even if we are not in their family, we, we still honour them. Why? Because we want the honour to come back. We want to live in a culture of honour. That's why we speak with reverence and respect for one another. That's why when we, when we get a break and we, if you're a young person, go up to an old person that you begin to know and honour them. Honour the revelation that's on their life. Honour who they are. This is the culture that has been missing in the church. We've done everything else. We've been smart. We've been educated. We've got more money now than we've ever had. But we're still not honouring one another as we should. That's a good thing for us to do today, to honour and give chocolate. I mean, obviously give chocolate because that's a vegetable and we should all eat more vegetables. <laughs> but the truth is we, should, we need a culture of honour because a culture of honour, what it does is two things. It builds people up to see themselves the right way and it also helps them to begin to see the influence they have on who's coming next. If you're a grandparent, I dare say it never leaves your mind that you're praying for your grandson or granddaughter. You're wanting them to carry the revelation with boldness all through their life. And your children, their children's, their children and their children's children, you want them to speak like this. We need a culture of honour, friends. We need a culture of honour. And, and a culture of honour is the centrepiece to obeying God. Well, there's the eight principles I wanted to share with you. The words of an old prayer. Yuvrecha Adonai, Vyishmerecha, Yarev Avonai, Panev Eliecha, Vishunecha, Yisar Adonai, Panev Eliecha, Vyaisem, Lacha, Shalom. What I just spoke over you in Hebrew was the prayer, the Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. People have been praying that for thousands of years. Why? Because blessing coming from our mouth to God and to each other is the way we build the family line and the line of Christ. When you speak to one another, you could do worse than to say to one another, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. To finish our service, this is what we're going to do. As the word went out, this is what happens every week. If you are alert to it, if you are alert to it, you will sense something move on your own heart. Oftentimes when you come to church, you're not alert to it. You miss it. That's what happens. Something is on our mind. We get sidetracked and troubled and we don't hear it. But if you were alert to it, you'd have sensed it on your heart. Be moving. That's important. That makes sense to me. Yes, Lord. You'd have sensed that. And if you did sense that, then what we want to offer is a seal. I want you to come forward as we'll stand to worship. We're going to sing this song. The Lord bless you and keep you. We're going to speak it over. And as you're singing it, you can think about all the people you want to sing it over. Your parents, your grandparents, yourself, your children, your friends. You see them and picture them as, you, as you're singing. But if the Lord put something on your heart, if he moved something in your heart, I want you to come forward just quickly. No one's going to counsel you or pray sort of guiding prayers or anything like that. They're going to pray, may the Spirit of God seal what he has done in your heart today in the name of Jesus. Long prayers are not necessarily better prayers, friends. Spirit, praying in the Spirit is better. So if the Spirit of God has moved anything on your heart and you sense you would like someone in the prayer team to pray over you, that the Lord would seal that revelation in your own heart and mind for the future. Would you come? And they'll be here waiting for you when, they, uh, when you make your way. Let's stand. We're going to sing this song. Use the time to, to make that journey of faith if you would like it. Thank you. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected.